Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, and um, apparently I have a deeper voice this morning than, than usual, which may be good for <laughs> internet radio. But I'm happy you could join me this morning, for sure. Uh, this is the show where we talk about all things mystical. Mystical experiences, our spiritual journey, and we investigate and discuss a lot of the aspects of our lives that we can't see. The unseen and otherworldly, as I say on the website, which is themysticshow.net. Um... So if you're listening to this show, you're probably not one of those people who are ignoring the spiritual side of your life. You're probably reading books or meditating or somehow involved in a spiritual pursuit, even if it's mostly unconscious. And this is the show where we talk about things like that. And we have today a really wonderful guest coming on the show by the way you can still call in the uh, the first half of the show the second half we're going to have our guest so the number here is 973-498-8033 973-498-8033 feel free to call up and give your opinion or ask a question We had some wild thunderstorms here last night, and uh, there's some trees down, and there's branches all over the ground. But, you know, the birds are up, flying around, looking for food, carrying on with their lives. So we're going to start today with a very interesting chapter of the James Allen book that we've been reading and discussing. The book is called Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. He's a mystic from England about a century ago. And this is a great book. We've read the first two chapters, which were Right Beginnings and Small Tasks and Duties. Chapter three is called Transcending Difficulties and Perplexities. And this is just so apt because, first of all, life is all about transcending difficulties and perplexities. That Pretty much that's what life is, a long line of difficulties that we have to overcome with a little bit of happiness mixed in. And I love that quote, uh, I think it's Robert Frost, he said, happiness makes up for in height what it lacks in length. Because happiness comes, but then it goes. (laughs) And most of the time, we're not really joyful and happy. Maybe you are. If you are, call me. Actually, our guest on the second half of the show, she may contradict me on that one. She's always very happy, actually. So, on the mystical path especially in, you know, 2013 on the planet Earth. If you try to do the right thing, if you try to learn about, you know, the subtle parts of your being, if you try to discuss your mind and meditation, it, it, it inevitably invites problems from other people. People disagree or people think you're crazy or people avoid you. It's it's not always that bad, I can tell you. It's been 10 years for me on a dedicated spiritual practice, and actually people end up responding to you the way you treat them. So that kind of goes to the, the law of attraction, you might say. I don't know if you've heard of the law of attraction, but whatever you put out comes back to you. I think we all agree that that's the case. Um, 
So we're going to see what James, let, let's see what James Allen has to say about transcending difficulties and perplexities. Again, this is chapter three of Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. Transcending Difficulties and Perplexities To suggest that any degree of blessedness may be extracted from difficulties and perplexities will doubtless appear absurd to many. But truth is ever paradoxical, and the curses of the foolish are the blessings of the wise. Difficulties arise in ignorance and weakness, and they call for the attainment of knowledge and the acquisition of strength. As understanding is acquired by right living, difficulties become fewer, and perplexities gradually fade away, like the perishable mists which they are. Your difficulty is not contained, primarily, in the situation which gave rise to it, but in the mental state with which you regard that situation and which you bring to bear upon it. That which is difficult to a child presents no difficulty to the matured mind of the man, and that which to the mind of an unintelligent man is surrounded with perplexity would afford no ground for perplexity to an intelligent man. To the untutored and undeveloped mind of a child, how great and apparently insurmountable appear the difficulties which are involved in the learning of some simple lesson. How many anxious and laborious hours and days, or even months, its solution costs. And, frequently, how many tears are shed in hopeless contemplation of the unmastered and apparently insurmountable wall of difficulty. Yet the difficulty is in the ignorance of the development of, in- of intelligence and for the ultimate welfare, happiness, and usefulness of the child. Even so it is with the difficulties of life with which older children are confronted, and which it is imperative, for their own growth and development, that they should solve and surmount. And each difficulty solved means so much more experience gained, so much more insight and wisdom acquired. It means a valuable lesson learned, and the added gladness and freedom of a task successfully accomplished. What is the real nature of a difficulty? Is it not a situation which is not fully grasped and understood in all its bearings? As such, it calls for the development and exercise of a deeper insight and broader intelligence than has hitherto been exercised. It is an urgent necessity calling forth unused energy and demanding the expression and employment of latent power and hidden resources. It is, therefore, a good angel, albeit disguised, a friend, a teacher. And when calmly listened to and rightly understood, leads to larger blessedness and higher wisdom. Without difficulties, there could be no progress, no unfoldment, no evolution. Universal stagnation would prevail, and humanity would perish of ennui. Let a man rejoice when he is confronted with obstacles, for it means that he has reached the end of some particular line of indifference or folly, and is now called upon to summon up all his energy and intelligence in order to extricate himself and to find a better way, that the powers within him are crying out for greater freedom, for enlarged exercise and scope. No situation can be difficult of itself. It is the lack of insight into its intricacies and the want of of wisdom in dealing with it, which give rise to the difficulty. Immeasurable, therefore, is the gain of a difficulty transcended. 
Difficulties do not spring into existence arbitrarily and accidentally. They have their causes and are called forth by the law of evolution itself, by the growing necessities of the man's being. Herein resides their blessedness. And we'll stop there today. So, again, not sure what I can say after reading something like that, so we'll just take a moment. So thank you to Shashank for this little musical interlude there. That's him playing the flute. Um, so we read that little bit about transcending difficulties and perplexities. And it very much goes in, uh, dovetails nicely to the next topic I wanted to discuss was this idea of seeing divinity in everything. So if we think about it, we all think of God or whatever that means to us. And we know that God created everything and God is everywhere. And there's a, there's an oft quoted, um, line from, um, some ancient Indian text that says, um, that God is in the heart of every created being and thing. So, and if you think about it logically, I mean, God must be everywhere, right? How, how can God not be somewhere? <laughs> right? It's silly. So, you know, every everything you can see with your eyes right now is part of God. Look at your own hand. That's part of God. My, the sound my voice is making has to be part of God. Which leads to an interesting thought that maybe the bad deeds or crimes that people do are also part of God, right? They must be. So we're not here to judge other people. We're not even here to judge ourselves. In fact, that's one of the main hindrances on the path of spirituality, in my experience, is that people judge themselves. And I, I know I did in the beginning as well. You know, we judge ourselves and we say, well, I'm, I don't think I'm doing it right. I must not be doing it right. I don't think I'm doing very well. Or, you know, I've spent so much time, I haven't achieved anything Right? That's a, that's a great one. That's a common one. But how are we to judge? Really? How, how can you possibly judge? Because we're going towards a spiritual goal that we don't even really know what it is. If we're honest with ourselves. I mean, self-realization or God-realization or merger in the ultimate or liberation, whatever your spiritual goal is. I mean, until you reach it, you're not going to know what it is, really. You may have an idea, and that's okay, but you don't really know, right? I don't know what my goal really is until I get there. I don't know what Vancouver looks like until I go to Vancouver, which, by the way, I, I do. My wife and I do want to visit Vancouver, so... Hopefully someday. <laughs> See? And then when I get to Vancouver, I'll be able to say, okay, this is nice. Or I'll be able to, you know, quote unquote, judge it. 
So not judging yourself is a big part of life, I think. I mean, we have it's tough not to be hard on yourself, but it's necessary. And it's, you know, you hear it often probably. You have you can't love anybody else until you learn how to love yourself. So I'd be interested to know what you your interpretation of that quote. You can't love anybody else until you learn how to love yourself. What does that mean to you? I'm interested. You should call. (laughs) 973-498-8033. And all the information for the show, themysticshow.net. You can go to themysticshow.net and you can see all about what time, you know, the show is live 7 a.m. Eastern every day, and it gets replayed twice, 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. And um, I'm in the process of podcasting all the episodes as well. So they will be archived by next week, I'd say. So, okay, so not judging yourself, that's, we, we kind of talked a little bit about that. But seeing the divine in everything, right? God is everywhere in everything. So God is everywhere. But but here's the important thing. It's it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's nice to know that um God is in my laptop computer. God is in the uh the little key on the keyboard that says A. God's in there. And God's in this microphone that I'm speaking into. And God is in your left hand pinky fingernail. Yep. See, look, God's in there. Uh, that's all good with with things, but here's where here's our opportunity to really grow on the spiritual path. God is in the heart of every person. So first of all, He's in your heart, right? Did you ever think about that? He's in your heart, which is one reason some people say that temples and churches and whatever are not really necessary. Because if God is everywhere, then he's in your heart, then wherever you are right now is, he's there. You're with him. So that's, a, yeah, that's another thing, calling God he and him. I, I think I talked about that the other day. I don't, I guess we have to use those words, but I, I don't quite, I don't think they're quite accurate. But there's nothing, I don't think there's any other words to use. So God is in your heart, and guess what? God is in everyone else's heart. And this is sort of the true meaning of brotherhood, right? And that we're all, all men are created equal, right? We've heard that a zillion times, especially here in America. And I don't know, do people really even understand what that means? I mean, some people are short, some are tall, some are fat, some are skinny. Obviously, we're not created equal. Right? Some people talk in a southern accent. Some people talk in a Canadian accent. That's not equal. So what is what is this equality? Well, the only way that we're all equal is within the fact that we all have divinity or God in our heart. Period. If you're a human being, you have the same divinity in your heart doesn't matter where you are, what language you speak, what country you're from, what religion you are. Doesn't matter if you're a good person, bad person, murderer, saint, Eskimo, spaceman. Right? Divinity's in our heart. That's the way we're all equal. And we all revere God so much, right? You know, God's the creator. We revere God so much. But it's funny, when we meet other people, most of us are not in the habit of seeing the divinity in the other person's heart and feeling that reverence for God in the other person's heart. Right? Well, most of our meetings between human beings is very casual. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? All right. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm fine. How are you? Good. 
How are you? So <laughs> I know I know I make fun of that all the time, but um it's true though. It's usually very casual and whatever. But when you go into a church or a temple or your place of worship and you go up to the altar or you go up to the front and you kneel down and you pray, that's not a casual exercise, is it? No, that is very very what is it? It's um holy. Right? That's a there's a holy attitude there. There's a holy atmosphere there, right? So it's funny. You know, here again, here's the opportunity that everyone uh, sorry, every other human being you see, you can have the attitude and atmosphere of holiness knowing that there's divinity in their heart. You could almost treat them like an altar. <laughs> I know that doesn't make sense, but <laughs> I don't know why I just said it either. But um, but we can. We can really respect people that much. And actually, that's what... Um, there's, it, you know, as you know, I've been to India many times on spiritual journeys and to ashrams and for learning how to meditate and constant remembrance and things like that. And um, one of the things you learn when you go to India is people, well, South India, people say uh, namaste when they meet and they, you know, put their hands together like they're praying and they say namaste. And to to an American who knows nothing, me, um, that was just like, it, it's almost like saying hello. But you kind of, you kind of get the feeling that there's more to it, that there's there's something deeper in it. It's not just a hello, because the look in people's eyes when they do it is is something different than than in America when we say, "Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you?" There's something different when people in India say Namaste, and it wasn't long before I found out what Namaste means and. I might not be exactly correct, but I know I'm close, at least. I might be 100% correct, too. But basically, namaste means that the divinity in me recognizes the divinity in you. Which is exactly this topic I'm, I'm speaking about right now. So, I, lo- I mean, how cool is that? Like every time you meet people, you're just acknowledge, right? You don't have to kneel down and pray to their heart or anything, but just acknowledge that divinity, that, that again, I don't, can't find the words, holiness or reverence, respect. So that's our opportunity. And I mean, some people like, you know, the true mystics, that this is how they live. They never, you'll never see a, a true mystic or a saint, you know, hanging around, you know, hanging around in a coffee shop. Hey, how you doing? Reading a paper and, you know, I mean, not that any of that stuff is bad, but I'm just making the observation that you never see them do that because life for them is not that casual. So I can already hear the fear springing up in, in you thinking, oh my God, well, if I want to become a mystic or a saint, I have to become boring and stay in a, you know, meditate all the time and stay inside a temple or somewhere, you know? I can't go to the diner and drink coffee and read a newspaper. Well, that's actually not true. That's not true. We can, that's mistaking the outer appearance instead of looking at the the inner condition. And that's really what the spiritual journey is all about. It's about our inner condition. It's not about what we look like on the outside. On the outside, like I said, we're all different. And on the outside, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things we probably shouldn't have said. We're going to do things we probably shouldn't have done. We're probably going to hurt someone's feelings a little bit. We're probably going to have our feelings hurt a little bit, right? This is life. I don't think you can really get away from that. So we can't judge, you can't judge a saint or a mystic by the outer appearance. You can observe and 
you know, make an effort to evaluate, but you can't really judge. So it's the inner condition. That's the spiritual journey, is an inner journey. It's not an outer journey. It's not um, like in India, people take trips up to the north of India and they bathe in certain rivers and they just do these rituals and they take a big long trip and it's called uh, Yatra. They call it their Yatra and it's, but that's just, that's just like a traveling. It doesn't necessarily give any spiritual benefit. So the spiritual journey, I want to say the spiritual game, but that's, that does, that's not right. The whole, your journey of spirituality is all inside. It's not outside. It will reflect outside after a while, but we can't, you can't try and become spiritual on the outside first and then bring it inside. It, it goes the other way. First, you have to create it inside yourself. Then it can flow out. So instead of waiting for someone to say namaste to you, or not that you have to say namaste, but instead of waiting for people to look in your heart and see divinity, we need to do it first. You need to look at other people and see the divinity in their heart, right? We can't wait for other people to, (laughs) to do it first before we do it, right? We'll be waiting forever, won't we? Yeah. And we don't have forever. Do you have forever? In Well, in this body? Nope. In fact, we don't know how long we have. <laughs> really don't. So, the spiritual path is on the inside, and that's why meditation is so important, because that is what familiarizes with you with your inner condition with your inner self or your higher self. There's no other way to connect with your inner self than meditation. I'm Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, please call me. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy we're going to have a guest in about two minutes. So why don't we do that? Why don't we take a little break? Um, and once... Yeah, once the podcasts are up or once the, you know, even on the website, you can actually comment on the webpage or send us a note through the website. If you have any comments or questions, go ahead, send them in. We can, we can chat about it and talk about it. Um, so with that, we're going to take just a short break while I, while I get the phone number from, of our guest and I give her a call and I'll, I'll get her on the line in just, just one second. So hang on. Yes, I I know you've never heard a show about spirituality and meditation that played little clips of Black Sabbath and Tool, but you found it. <laughs> yeah, that's one actually one of my favorite Tool songs because it's called Forty Six and Two, and you know, as human beings, we have forty six chromosomes. We have 23 pairs, which is 46. So the whole song is about 46 and 2. It's talking about the next evolution of human beings, maybe, when there's 48 chromosomes instead of just 46. And it's not a scientific song. It's, uh, it's all about the spirit and the soul and stepping through your own shadow. It's a great song, great drumming. And I realized I can't call our guest until I come back on the air. So I'm going to go ahead and dial this number here. This is our special guest. I'm going to introduce her when when she comes on the phone. 
Let's hope she's here. Hello, Maria. Hello. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Maria Montadakis. You are live on the air. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That is wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I'm so happy that you uh, could come onto the Mystic Show and share a lot of your experience. Just for the listeners, uh, Maria is uh, one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. She has done so much uh, in, in... with regards to seminars and teaching and life experience. And I actually met Maria via, uh, through Toastmasters when, uh, when I joined the Toastmasters group and you were in the group. And you gave, very early on, you gave a presentation uh, on The Secret, which was about the law of attraction. And um, anyway, we became pretty good friends right off the bat. So, so thanks for coming on The Mystic Show. Much, Chris. I really appreciate that. Uh, like you said, I think that from the minute we met, uh, we knew that we were in the same journey, and uh, that's one of the things that um, makes me grateful that people like you and Mallar, you know, are in my life. So, uh, thank you so much for that introduction. Yeah. So I know you've taken a lot of seminars. You've done, and you and you teach as well. You teach um, communication, right, with the Dale Carnegie Institute. Yes. Yes. I'm a certified instructor for them. That's great. So let's let's get into your spiritual journey a little bit. I'm very curious to know. You know, each of us is on our own journey. I mean, technically, we're all on our own journey, but some people know it. Some people don't know it yet. Um, when did you sort of come to know? that you were on your journey, or, or what, what in your life sort of led you to your spiritual quest? Right, right. There were several experiences, right? But mine started pretty early, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting because I'm looking at it right now. Uh, mine started when I was two years old, I <laughs> think. <laughs> my, my mom had, had bought me, it was like an icon. She had put it over my bed. And it was of a little girl praying and her mother sitting next to her. But what was very interesting, and it definitely had an influence in my life, was right behind the little girl that was praying, there was this beautiful angel, beautiful, beautiful angel. And uh, my mom was telling me that, he started teaching me about God. And basically started saying that when when we pray there is always an angel that comes to take everything that we pray about to bring it to god and that god always blesses that prayer and makes everything come true mm-hmm. so this was at two years old at two years old i started <laughs> pondering about talking to god and about praying and um about Asking God, you know, talking to God about um, your feelings, about if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling happy. So my conversations with God started at two. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and, And basically what that means is that since that age, I have been noticing God in my life, you know, and that has happened, you know, um, uh, in a religious journey, but also a very spirit outside of the religious journey, also in a very spiritual journey. And I was just going to ask you when, so you at two years old, you know, you had this, you know, the little girl praying with the angel and your mom talking to you about that. So you had some idea of God. Now, did was your family active in a religion? Did you get sort of swept into whatever religion your family was in, and were you active in that? Well, that's that's very interesting because I did a Toastmaster speech about that. <laughs> uh, what was interesting was my mom was extremely religious. She, as a matter of fact, she wanted to be a nun. She did not want to get married, and then she met my father and was married. Mm. Uh, my father was almost the opposite. For some reason, my father felt very strongly about me not getting swept up in a religion and did everything he can he could to prevent me from getting all swept up and actually from me making my own decisions 
about what's out there and what's not. Mm. So, so it was a very, you could see my parents um, uh, counteracting each other. Just as an example, my father on Sunday mornings, my mother would get me ready for church, and my father would say, "We'd go to the let's go to the movies." <laughs> and I grew up in Greece, and on Sunday mornings they had um, Laurel and Hardy movies. <laughs> so he would take me to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, but but I think you know each person will experience what they need to experience, regardless of how people try to intervene right so so um although you know he he tried to keep me out of the church and you know in a more uh non-religious non-spiritual journey of course the whole time as a little girl girl i remember having that picture stuck in my mind especially of the angel right so mm. so when when did this idea that religion and spirituality are, you know, not exactly the same thing. When did that start to enter your mind at all? Well, what happened is when I was 19, I started teaching Sunday school in my church. And weirdly enough, they gave me the high school class. So basically, the age difference between myself and my students was like three years. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I started teaching, you know, what was in the books, of course, but there, there was, you know, when when teenage kids started pushing back on the teacher, instead of me uh, trying to explore through the books, I found myself exploring through prayer. Mm. And that's when um, I received answers that were opposite uh, from what the traditional uh, religion was basically teaching us, right? And um, in that Sunday school class, there was one particular Sunday school class where I'm still very close with my students. They're still around. And um, we actually had the weirdest experience because that year, regardless of what we were prepared to talk in that Sunday school class, we ended talking out talking about something totally different. And that subject was always about touching somebody in the class where everybody would cry because we would feel another presence within the class. And like I said, for, for that class, there was this uh, bond developed uh, that is still there. Nice. Uh, so, so I guess through Sunday school, I started having some spiritual experiences and and some experiences that were telling me to kind of, you know, take a step back and start questioning certain things. And and I'll give you can I may I give you an example, Chris? Please. I was I, I was going to ask you, yeah. So, um in my church, it's it's a Greek Orthodox church. And I think this happens in a lot of churches, right? People get all caught up in um, things like what language is is the mass or the liturgy in. And in my church, of course, you have the Greek side, the people that came from Greece and they don't speak English yet. And you have the people that are American and they they want to hear the Greek, but they definitely want to know what's going on in English, right? So for many years, our church, and I think all of our Greek Orthodox churches, have struggled with that, you know, how do we, uh, how do we keep the Greek and how do we convey, you know, the, the English so everybody could understand the prayers and what's going on. Um, in my church, I spoke both, so I was able to represent both sides and kind of bridge both, um, both positions. Mm. But it really bothered me that, you know, there was a split in the church over language. Mm. So um, one day there were um, meditation. As a matter of fact, I think there's, they, there still are. There were meditation sessions. At, at a church in Morristown for the science of mind, and through that I met Reverend Frankie. 
So one time I went to her class, and somebody started talking about language. And she said, well, God doesn't speak a language. God speaks thought. Mm. And everybody looked at her like thought. How could that be? And she said, well, let's try it out. So everybody got into a circle, and she started doing a prayer in Dutch. And everybody felt it, Mm. and everyone understood what she was saying. And it was such an experience. It was everybody felt connected, and um, that's when... uh, I went, you know, I was able to go back to my church, mm-hmm. and I was able to say, stop, you know, God doesn't care. Uh, it's God communicates with, with us through thought. So there were several, several, several experiences like that. Um, I had other experiences where my company would send me for business to Taiwan and to China. Mm. For long periods of time. Like months. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So while I was there, I would want to go somewhere to pray. And I know that you could pray at home or at your hotel room. But for some reason, I wanted to be with people and feel the energy of prayer. So I went to Buddhist temples. And that's where I also had some fascinating uh, spiritual experiences. Um, One of them was in Taiwan. I went to visit um, the temple of the Clay Buddha. Hmm. And um, I thought that that was an odd name. (laughs) (laughs) The Clay Buddha. And um, when you go to the temple, you could actually see a Buddha made out of clay. And, you know, I asked about it, and basically what I was told was that many, many, many years ago, the temple was moving. So um, they decided to move the Buddha to the new location. And since it was made out of clay, they thought it it wouldn't be a big deal. It would not weigh that much. Mm. so they took a couple of people, and those people tried to lift it, and it was impossible. And then they brought in more people, and then at one point they were even bringing, a, you know, they just couldn't understand why it, it could not be moved. Mm-hmm. So somebody noticed that a chip had uh, chipped from the clay, and it turned out that the Buddha was made out of solid gold. Mm. Wow. And basically, they continue to tell me that this is every human being because at the center of all of us, there is pure gold. Mm. But then on the outside, we very successfully have put layers and layers of clay to the point where anyone who sees us never sees the gold. Mm. Um. But from from that experience, I walked away looking for the gold, right? So even with the people that, you know, sometimes fuss all the time or, you know, um, the people that others uh, get a negative vibe from, right. I just know that every person in the center has the gold. And I take all the fussing as the clay, right? So yeah. I've had... Like I said, uh, Chris, I feel like I'm in a journey, and um, I think the important thing about it, you know, for all the listeners, is that to be aware of it, because I see a lot of people, you know, who say, oh, there's no miracles today, Um, yet I see miracles every single day. So, and I think some of it is that the miracles are happening around us, we just don't see them because our focus is on other things. So um, yeah, that's so true. You know, we we almost see. Uh, I I've given the example in some of my talks where if you um, if you let's say you bought a new car and it's a new red sports car, 
you'll you'll start driving around and you'll see all these other red sports cars. You'll, th- they'll seem like there's a million of them, and you you swear you never saw them before, but they're there. Um, they were always there, but you just didn't have the awareness. You weren't looking for it, so it's almost like you whatever we whatever we look for, we'll find. Right, right, and I think in many um, you know third world countries, as an example. When you are experiencing hardship, right, that's, that's all you see. All you see is hardship. And even, you know, in our country where there's so much abundance, um, if you focus or, you know, if you focus, if you believe whatever, you know, your, your brain tells you, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then that's all you notice. And if it just happens to be noticing negative things, then sometimes that's all you see, right, right, Chris? So. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention real quick, you're listening to The Mystic Show, and our guest is Maria Mantadakis. She's a spiritual aspirant and uh, a certified Dale Carnegie instructor as well, and a good friend of mine, and also a member of the Pause Your Life group. And I just really quickly wanted to remind people, uh, pauseyourlife.org is a great website to just, if you want to stop and just, Pause your life for a minute. You know, stop the madness for a minute. Um, and there's also an email list you can sign up for. You can get a daily quote in um, in your email box, uh, like a spiritual quote that'll help you just take a pause and and you know heighten that awareness that we were just talking about, Maria. The Pause Your Life group is phenomenal, and I think the last meeting that we had, some folks were asking me. Why would I drive? I, you know, it's 50 miles from my house. <laughs> and, and I would drive it in a minute. If you had it every day, I would, I would be there every day. Um, because sometimes we do that, right? We say, oh, it's so far. I don't know. I don't have time. And we should always make time for reflection and meditation. And especially hitting the stop button, just pausing. Um, so, um, anyone who's listening, you know, if, if you're in New Jersey, you should be able to make it. <laughs> yeah, we have the meetups in New Jersey, and we're actually just starting to organize some retreats and everything. So, um, pauseyourlife.org, that's the website. Um, Maria, I wanted to, to get back to, you said when you were about 19, you started teaching Sunday school to a high, to high school kids, and you started to question a lot of things and you said that's when you kind of found prayer and i was just curious how did you how did did you is that when you started using prayer and if if so like when what were you praying for were you praying for the kids or praying for yourself or in general right right so prayer was in my life since 2 years old so i was always praying okay um but but sometimes you know kids would ask the most difficult questions you know such as well, if there's God, then why is there so so much bad in the world? And, you know, some kids would just say, off the cuff, well, if you do the evil thing, then, you know, the devil will support you, but if you do the good thing, you know, you're dead in the water. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of issues with peer pressure would come up during... Sunday school class, you know, where kids would say, so-and-so did this to me, I'm going to wait for them, and, and <laughs> you know, kick their behind. You know? yeah. And, you know, at 19, I was like, oh my gosh, how do I convey the right message to them? And that's when the books that you're holding from, you know, religious teaching, sometimes the message is there but you have no idea how to convey it so that you could get into the souls of of the kids to get them to do the right thing mm. so there was a shortcut that i developed for them nice <laughs> and and basically the shortcut said that in every decision that we make in life and i used to use a very simple simple decision of you're watching TV and your mother calls you and says, I need some help. 
but the show that you're watching, you've been waiting for. Like, you know, you really do not want to interrupt <laughs> your TV watching. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's a decision now you need to make. Do I ignore my mother? Or, and, and don't forget, back then there was no pause. There was no pause on the TV, you know. If you stepped away, you missed it, you know, and Mm. there was no replay. (laughs) Right? It's funny you have to mention that these days. (laughs) So, so, you know, there was a decision. The decision is, you know, do I satisfy, you know, what I need to do or do I help my mom? So basically what I told them is that in every decision from the stupidest, you know, watching TV decision to every big decision in your life, there are always two two uh, decisions you could you could select, and one is the loving decision, mm. and the second is the selfish decision. So I said, you know, before you do anything, and you could choose the selfish decision, but before you do anything, just categorize, you know, your choices. You know, what is my loving decision? What is my selfish decision? Mm. And once you categorize, just know that if you choose the loving decision, that'll bring you closer to God, and it will make you happier. Mm. And if you choose the other decision, that will just take you away from God, you know, and it will make you struggle and make you more unhappy. Wow. That is, I like that. That's so simple, right? The loving decision... Or the selfish decision. And and like you said, it's, you know, just categorizing it, just thinking about that, you know, for a moment or two or three before you make the decision, that, that's a lot of awareness you're bringing into your life, right? Uh, absolutely. So what was very, very interesting was that um, many, many, many years after that, I would say at least 25 years after that, uh, so, so I had uh, created a religion shortcut for my kids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that religion shortcut, I had felt, had come to me during prayer, dur- during meditation from God. So I okay. was pretty sure that that was right. Mm. And um, like I said, about 25 years after that, um, I was in someone's house, and they were getting ready, and I was standing there in the living room with nothing to do, and they had a bookcase, and I started looking at the books. One of the books was Conversations with God, Mm. and what that book is about, it was about someone who started asking questions to God, and God was giving him the answers, Mm. and he was just typing them. So the book is questions and answers. So what I found very interesting, I started reading it very fast because needless to say, many of the questions that the kids had asked me were in that book. Mm. And the book was making me so happy because it was consistent with what I was telling them. So, you know, the very first question, you know, um, uh, what is God? God is love. Check. That's exactly what I was telling them. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, why is there bad in, in the world? You know, and I, I was just reading it. Right. And all of a sudden, there was the question, what is the opposite of love? You know, what is the opposite? How could you get yourself a, as far away from God as possible? And, of course, I was like, selfishness. I know, I know that answer, too. But the answer in the book was fear. Mm. And it blew me away. I was like, how could fear be the the element that takes you as far away from God as possible. Mm. So the person came out of the shower, and I was like, I can't believe, you know, I had all the same answers. I still think my answer is right. I still think selfishness is the right answer. Mm. It can't be fear. So, so, Chris, I don't know if you've met my friend Olga, and she was one of the kids in my Sunday school class. Oh, wow. <laughs> the class where we had the the experience. So that, the next day, Olga, who was still in high school, called me up and she said, 
could you come and pick me up and let's go to the diner and have a hamburger? And I said, no big deal, you know, I'll come and pick you up. I went and picked her up. So we're sitting in a diner and we're having a hamburger. And she said, I had to tell you. And she's eating the hamburger and she's chewing and I could still see her face. She said, you always told us that God is love and the opposite is selfishness. But I was thinking, this is the next day, Chris. Right. He goes, the opposite is fear. (laughs) And I just dropped everything. I said, why are you saying this to me? (laughs) Like, where is this coming from? (laughs) And, And here's this little girl, and she's saying, well, the reason is, if you're afraid then you have no faith. Mm. So you're scared and you're staying away from God. And all the decisions you're making are out of thinking you're alone and out of yourself. So she goes, so I guess it's the same, so it's okay. Right? I was going to also say that, that in a way they are tied together, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But it was that kind of experience where, you know, you had to look up and say, thank you, God, or you had to look inside. <laughs> yeah. And, that... and say, you know, thank you. Thank you for, you know, giving me the answers and actually sending somebody to confirm that, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the, those are the moments where you, again, that that's probably a very... Uh, big moment on your spiritual journey obviously it was so there's these we i think everybody has these moments where we we get the message or get confirmation and a lot of times people are probably not ready to receive it and obviously if you're not ready to receive it you're not gonna get the message but uh once you're ready and you develop that awareness you'll get the answer so Uh, Absolutely. And just this last weekend, Chris, I found myself, you know, telling uh, a group of people, you know, very, very religious people, that the worst thing you could do to a person is make them afraid, right? Mm. And and I think one of the things that um, everyone should just... just, um, be aware of, right? And I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong or anything like that, because everything that comes into our life is for a purpose, and it's always for a good purpose. But when you are in a religious environment and you find yourself afraid, uh, just remember that that's the opposite effect of what God is wanting us to experience, Mm -hmm. Um, because there should be no fear. we have all the support, and there's this world that's going on around us that sometimes we don't notice, right? But but the fear brings it down to a human world, you know, one where we're limited and there's only, you know, we're competitive, we compete with our fellow human beings instead of loving them. And... Um, You know, just be careful if you find yourself in a religious situation where you're afraid. um, Start praying, start meditating, and bring yourself to a peaceful state. Mm. Because I think that's the state that you become closest to your authentic, authentic self. Wow. Very good, Maria. Thank you so much. We're actually out of time. Can you believe that? Wow, thank you, Yeah, so this is great. Uh, You're listening to The Mystic Show. Our guest this morning was Maria Mantadakis. She's a spiritual aspirant and a good friend of mine as well. Um, Maria, thank you so much. Hopefully we can can chat on a regular basis. I think that would be great. I think we barely even scratched the surface of of what's possible here. So, So thank you again for being our guest today. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Chris, and and thank you to everyone who's listening for the time. All right. Take care, Maria. Bye. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye now. And you're listening to The Mystic Show. Themysticshow.net is our website. All the information is there. So move into your day without fear. Transcend those difficulties and perplexities. 
and keep shining.